Today we're starting a brand new series. The series is on the book of Genesis that talks about early man. But today is going to be a very important part of that series. It's entitled Genesis versus Darwin. We're going to look at the story of creationism. We're also going to look at the theory of evolution. We're going to have a number of special guests here today. Uh, we're going to have some wonderful friends of ours who are going to bring some of their pets to the program. But right at the very close of the program, we are going to have a 350-pound tiger. We want to send special greetings to our wonderful friends across the United States of America. And we want to send greetings today to our viewers in the land of Russia and the great land of Ukraine. We want to say that this program on Darwin versus Genesis is one of the most important series that we will present in, on Russian television. And we invite you to join us for this series on evolution. Evolution versus creationism. They are two powerful religious systems that are based on faith. Some would say, no, creationism is based on faith, but evolution is based on fact. They're both based on faith. The British biologist L. Harrison Matthews, in the foreword of the 1971 edition of Darwin's Origin of the Species, said, the fact of evolution is the backbone of biology, and biology is thus in the peculiar position of being a science founded on an unproved theory. Is it then a science or faith? Belief in the theory of evolution is thus exactly parallel to belief in special creation. Both are concepts which believers know to be true, but neither up to the present has been capable of proof. I don't wish to stun some of my friends who believe in evolution, but you have faith in evolution just as I have faith in creationism. Evolution is one of the most powerful religious systems in the world. Every person, the preacher to the scientist, every person is subject to bias and prejudice. We all have preconceived ideas and it is often difficult for us to lay aside our preconceived ideas and think new thoughts. We are all very much desirous of the esteem of our peers, particularly those who have good credentials. We all want to be well thought of. The Christian church, unfortunately, has been one of the most bigoted organizations on the face of the earth. It burnt the scientists in the dark ages. And uh, when Darwin was a young man, that great British mind became familiar with the ideas of the church. And the church said that all of the different species were created just as they are today in the Garden of Eden. And that the universe was made some 6,000 years ago. And when Darwin considered the facts, he discovered that what the church was teaching didn't harmonize with what he saw with his own eyes. So the Christian church has been guilty of bigotry as much as any, any other organization. George Wald, the winner of the 1967 Nobel Pre Peace Prize in Science, said this. Listen carefully. When it comes to the origin of life on this earth, there are only two possibilities creation or spontaneous generation, evolution. 
There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved a hundred years ago. But that leads us only to one other conclusion. That is supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds, personal reasons. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance. Therefore, even though it is an unpalatable pill to swallow, I would suggest today that belief in evolution is simply belief in a religion, exactly the same as Christianity. The basic premise of evolution, and this is to cut through everything and get to the very basics, is from molecule to man. Evolution, and this is not saying it in a technical way, but this is getting right through to the bottom line. Evolution teaches that hydrogen gas plus other elements, given enough time, will eventually turn into people by chance. We will consider that viewpoint today. But firstly, I want you to pay attention to the biblical viewpoint. Would you please come to the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, and notice the story of the Bible. And then we will notice the story of evolution. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now verse 11 and 12 then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. This is what we call special creation. Notice verse 20 and 21. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly across the earth, above the earth, across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the waters teem, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And verse 24 and 25. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so this is the doctrine of creationism as taught in the book of Genesis. When the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, it's not even talking about the beginning of this world. It is talking about the beginning of the universe. I think that happened between 8 billion and 20 billion years ago. And there seems to be strong evidence for this. I want to quote you from Robert Jastro, the director of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, is reported in the Melbourne Sun. He says, now we see how the astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world. The details differ, but the essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are the same. The chain of events leading to man started suddenly and sharply at a definite moment in time in a flash of light 
and energy. And this man is not a believer. This man is an agnostic. There are some problems that we are discovering with the age of the universe. The Hubble Space Telescope has just made some remarkable discoveries. While most astronomers put the age of the universe, the Big Bang, at 15 to 20 billion years ago, and they know this scientifically, the Hubble Space Telescope indicates that the universe could be younger, maybe only 8 billion years old. People say, how can a person be relatively dogmatic about the age of the universe? It is because they can see by the process of the red shift that the galaxies are exploding out from us, some of them almost at the speed of light. And the Big Bang took place, we would think, between 8 billion and 20 billion years ago. The Bible teaches the same concept. Teaches the same concept that the whole universe started in a blinding flash of inconceivable energy. I want to say to every person, there are good reasons why we ought to respect the teachings of the Bible. The great Dr. Foxwell Albright, the great professor at John Hopkins University, the greatest, perhaps the greatest archaeologist of the 20th century, came to the conclusion that the Bible is a reliable historical document. I personally have explored all the archaeological sites in the Middle East. I've seen the evidence. I believe we ought to respect the Bible viewpoint. But let us come to the question... How does the theory of evolution stand up to investigation and examination? Uh, we're not here to engage in name-calling. We're not here to do this. Generally, a person attacks his opponent personally when his arguments are weak. We're not here to put down people. We are here humbly to try to consider the evidence. There are seven areas that I want to deal with today as we think about the concept of evolution and the first I've written on the blackboard is the law of thermodynamics there you can see it over here on the blackboard I'm going to give you seven points of evidence the first one is the law of thermodynamics most of us who've been to university or high school know this off by heart there are two parts to the law of thermodynamics number one Energy can be converted from one form to another, but it can neither be created or destroyed. Let me say it again. Energy can be converted from one form into another, but it can neither be created or destroyed. Therefore, the universe could not have created itself. I want to read you another statement out of this article by the agnostic Jastro. He says, some were even bolder and asked, who was the prime mover? The British theorist Edwin Milne wrote a mathematical treatise on relativity that concluded by saying, as to the first cause of the universe, in the context of expansion, that is left for the reader to insert, but our picture is incomplete without him. So, I am suggesting because of the law of thermodynamics that if we leave the creator out of the universe we do not have a logical case. Here is the second law of thermodynamics. The law of energy decay. 
All processes of nature have a tendency towards dis decay and disintegration. Every system left to its own devices tends to move from order to disorder. Has anybody tried to look into the room of a teenager? I can personally testify I know that the law, the second law of thermodynamics works. Everything in the universe is running down. Everything left to itself disintegrates. But the theory of evolution is based on the very opposite. The second law of thermodynamics prohibits the possibility of organic evolution. The British astronomer Arthur Eddington said, if your theory is found to be against the second law of thermodynamics, I can give you no hope. There is nothing for it but to collapse in deepest humiliation. Now I come to the second area, mathematics and probability. I'm giving you scientific material. Probability is the likelihood of an event occurring. The probability of being hit by lightning is 1 in 600,000. The probability of winning a lottery grand prize with a single ticket is 1 in 5.2 million. The probability of spelling the word evolution by randomly selecting nine letters from the alphabet is 1 in 5,429,503,679,000. That's the law of probability. If I take 20 playing cards and I number them 1 to 20, and I thoroughly shuffle up those cards, thoroughly shuffle them, and then I lay them out, the probability of their coming out 1 to 20 is 1 in 2,423,902 trillion, 8 billion, 176 million, 640,000. The probability of the chance development of a very simple system composed of only 200 integrated parts is this number that I've written here on the blackboard. Let me say it again. The probability of a simple system of only 200 integrated parts coming together by itself is this number here on the blackboard. The number is inconceivable for the human mind to comprehend this number is a scientific number. It has been worked out with the aid of great computers. This number here is greater than the known atoms and electrons in the universe. And that is to form a simple integrated thing with 200 simple components. Schultzenberger of the University of Paris at a conference on the mathematical challenges to the neo-Darwinian interpretation of evolution says that evolution by mutation and natural selection is inconceivable. He says, we believe that it is not conceivable. In fact, if we try to 
simulate such a situation by making changes randomly on computer programs, we find we have no chance. The evidence from mathematics from the law of probability says evolution could not occur because there is not enough time in the universe and there is not enough atoms and electrons. It is impossible. Not enough matter, not enough time. That is why scientists today are so interested in finding life on Mars. They want to go to Mars because they think life originated in Mars because now they're coming to the awful conclusion there hasn't been enough time on planet Earth for life to evolve. Therefore, it came from Mars. That is simply to push it back another generation. How did it start in Mars, particularly when we're finding that the universe may be only 8 billion years old? I come to the third point. Firstly, the law of thermodynamics, mathematics and probability. Now, design in nature. Let me talk for a moment about the single cell and its complexity. We live here in the city of Los Angeles, in the county of Los Angeles. I want you to think not just of the city, but the whole county of Los Angeles with millions of people. I want you to think of all the powerhouses, the streets, the factories, the shopping centers, the communication systems, the hospitals, the police stations, the motor cars going up and down the streets. I want you to think of all of this and recognize that is not as complex as one single human cell. I want you to think if the city of Los Angeles spontaneously by its own power within itself can divide as the cell divides. And when it divides, it divides so both parts of the city are functioning cities with the right number of powerhouses, the right number of cars, the right number of streets. This is telling you something about the complexity of the human cell, one cell. I want you to think of the complexity of the human eye. It makes 100,000 separate motions every day in color and stereoscope. While we sleep, it carries out its own maintenance. It has an auto-aiming, auto-focus, auto-aperture apparatus. It is useless unless every part functions and is completely developed. Therefore, in the process of its evolution, it could not function. The problem for the evolutionist is to explain the step-by-step -step accidental development of the human eye. Charles Darwin, that great Britisher, said, to suppose that the eye, with all its inimicable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest possible degree. The belief that an organ as perfect as the eye could have formed by natural selection is more than enough to stagger anyone. I say the very complexity, the overwhelming complexity of these organisms and when you consider the law of probability scientifically it is 
impossible. I now come to the fourth point of evidence, the DNA. And now I'm somewhat overwhelmed. The DNA molecule, reproduction and the transmission of hereditary information are directed by the DNA molecule. In the human body, it programs all the characteristics, the hair, the skin, the eyes, the color, whether you get blue eyes or green eyes or brown eyes or black eyes, it's all programmed by the DNA. It programs the height you're going to be, how fast you can run. The DNA in the human body determines the arrangement of 206 bones, 600 muscles, 10,000 auditory nerve fibers, 2 million optic nerve fibers, and 100 billion nerve cells, etc., etc. The information needed to specify the design of all the species which have ever lived could be held in a teaspoon. You never got that, did you? The information, the DNA information needed to specify all the characteristics of the dinosaurs, the whales, the prehistoric monsters, the human race, past and present, everything all of the information to specify what has happened in this world is so compacted it could be placed in a teaspoon. Information does not and cannot arise spontaneously. DNA is information and the only logical conclusion that can be drawn is that DNA was formed by intelligence. Lord Kelvin, the British physicist, said, overwhelming strong proofs of intelligent and benevolent design lie around us. The atheistic idea is so nonsensical that I cannot put it into words. I come now to the fifth proof as we discuss the possibility of evolution. The fifth proof. Here it is. Cataclysmic worldwide hydraulic event. The fossil record points to a cataclysmic worldwide hydraulic event. The book of Genesis tells us that all the fountains of the deep were broken up. And the windows of heaven were opened and the earth was torn apart in a mighty, mighty catastrophe. We call it the flood. I've studied many of the fossils. Millions of fossils are seen in contorted forms showing evidence of sudden and violent deaths. The whole earth, the whole earth is covered by thousands of feet of sedimentary rock filled with billions of fossils. It is difficult, my friend, to find evidence of fossilization today. If a frog dies, it is gone. If a fish dies, it's swept away, it is gone. 
But the rocks do not contain thousands or millions, but they contain hundreds of billions of fossils, many in a perfect state. They were buried swiftly by the billions before decompos decomposition could occur. In Siberia that I'm going to visit in just a few weeks, there have been found the bodies of thousands of woolly mammoths, some preserved whole with their flesh intact with food in their mouths. What happened to them? They died quickly, they died almost instantaneously, and then they were preserved for thousands of years. Here is a valid explanation for the vast layers of the fossils. Not a process of evolution lasting for millions and billions of years, but a cataclysmic worldwide hydraulic event that is described in the book of Genesis. Now I come to the sixth point, and this of course, this is all tied together, and this is talking about the fossils, the remains of ancient life forms. Let me talk about it. This is a very complex and a very wonderful area. The whole earth is covered with sedimentary rock, of course laid down by water. There are many different stratas of the rocks. On the bottom of the rock you have the Precambrian rocks with no fossils and they are very, very old indeed. It is believed by evolutionists that here is the history of the world and in that they are right. You see, we have the same evidence but we have different interpretations. On the whole, the oldest rocks have the simplest creatures and you have a gradual change, they will tell you, to the complex creatures. And therefore, the evolutionists would argue with some force that in the, the stratas of the rocks you have the history of of the world. Right down at the bottom you have the simplest and up the top you have the most complex. And they believe that this is the story of evolution. How the world and everything that is in it evolved from the simple to the complex. Let me mention just some of these things to you. Right at the bottom, Precambrian rocks. Very, very old. No fossils. And then you come to the Cambrian rocks and you come up a little further to the Devonian rocks and the Mississippian rocks and then the Triassic rocks and the Jurassic rocks and getting up towards the top you have the Cretaceous rocks and we see in these rocks millions billions of fossils and generally speaking the simplest ones are at the bottom generally speaking the most complex ones are at the top there is something that you ought to be aware of however when you go into a vast museum and they will show you all of the different strata, there is no place in the world where that system is complete. In many places, you have some of the rocks that are, or some of the strata, that are apparently out of order. And the evolutionists will tell you they are out of order because they have the wrong fossils in them. Therefore, they must, they have the fossils in them that show that they must belong to a different order. Uh, this is a debatable point. But let me give you an alternative view. If, 
a colossal flood did take place. If the Bible story of this cataclysmic worldwide deluge is true. If there was a tremendous flood, one would expect the most complex to survive the longest and be preserved in the upper layers. One would expect that the simplest ones would die first and be buried. And one would expect that the dinosaurs and others would survive the longest and would be in the top. We have the same evidence, but we have a different interpretation. But there is one disconcerting truth to the evolutionist as we talk about the fossils and the stratas. Complex, advanced life forms appear suddenly in the stratas, often in very old rocks, and there is no evidence of evolutionary ancestors. Now, what am I trying to say? I'm saying this. Evolutionists believe, and they believe it sincerely. Darwin became sickened by the gunk that the church had been teaching. And he said, here is something that explains it all. Darwin never, of course, gave up faith in God. He believed in God to his dying day. But the evolutionist teaches that everything happened by chance. Thus you have something which is very simple and over eons, over millions, even billions of years, it became through mutations and through the theory of the survival of the fittest, which is much going for it. They believe that through mutations and natural selection, other creatures developed. And so many of you will go into a museum and you'll be somewhat overawed because you will see there a number of creatures. One is a strange monkey-like creature and standing crouched over. And the next one is standing a little straighter. And the next one is standing much straighter. And then after a number of these creatures, there is a human being. And they will say, this is the proof of evolution. That is simply a theory. Nowhere have these creatures been linked together. It is a theory. There is no evidence for it. Listen to what I'm going to say. It is a disconcerting truth to evolutionists. Here it is. Complex, advanced life forms appear suddenly in the stratus, often at the very bottom in the oldest rocks. And there is no evidence of evolutionary ancestors. Where are the ancestors to these complex fossils? They are missing. Darwin said, in time we will find them. But scientists have been looking for 150 years and they have unearthed billions of fossils, but they still have not found these transitional links. They are missing. It is still valid to talk about the missing links. And now we come to the missing links. Many ancient fossils, when compared to their modern counterparts, are essentially the same. Example, the starfish, the cockroach, and bacteria are no different from their ancestors that lived, quote, 500 million years ago. 
They're the same. Charles Darwin, more than a hundred years ago, wrote, Not one change of one species into another is on record. We cannot prove that a single species has been changed. But he said, give us time and we will find them. His statement, the statement of the father of evolution, not one change of one species into another is on record. We cannot prove that a single species has been changed. Is just as true today after a billion fossils have been found. It is a fact that today we have an absence of transitional forms. We should by now have found thousands of these links. But we have found none. The Bible says that God made everything after its kind. I want Beverly to come and the rest of the little team to come. I want you to meet a very special member of my family besides my wife. And this is our little dog. His name is Kelly. Hello, Kelly. Good morning, Kelly. You're now in church, so keep it holy, Kelly. Can you pick him up, would you mind? Kelly is a little French poodle, of course. And he's a, but he speaks Australian. He is a gentleman. Kelly is named after a famous bush ranger in Australia. His name was Ned Kelly. This is a great British bulldog, is he? English bulldog. English bulldog. And this is Mrs. White. Yes. And what is his name? His name is uh, Tough Haven Kennels. And White's Le Papillon. He has, he has a butterfly on his back, so we named him Le Papillon. But we call him Pappy or Pappy, Pap Man, or Mom calls him Baby Boy, and he loves that. Well, I guess he's got more pedigree than our poor little old Kelly here, never mind. He's won many championships. Kelly just chases the cat next door. And I'm sorry, we got a rabbit too, we should have brought him. Now, Janine, would you like to come and bring your specialty, please? The Bible says, after their kind. Now, I want to tell you folks something. Darwin objected to the idea of the church that taught that in the Garden of Eden, this dog was made and this dog was made. That isn't so. That isn't so. God made dogs. Now, Janine, what's the name? Come over a little closer. Mm -hmm. Just don't let Kelly see this cat. Kelly, look the other way. Mm -hmm. Homeless. Homeless. Uh, this is Janine. She works as a member of our staff. And this beautiful cat is called Homeless. Why is the cat called Homeless? It's hard to tell whether it's a male or a female with a name like that. What is it? It's a male. And why was it called, is it called Homeless? Because he had no home when he came to us. So you took him in? Yes. Bless you. Isn't that nice? Now, he's got five toes. He's a most remarkable cat. That's, we won't get into that. Uh, now, the Bible says everything is made after its kind. But within the kinds, the family groups, you can have a tremendous variation. There are in the world today about 200 different species of dogs, but maybe they only came from two dogs that God made. So I believe very much in evolution, microevolution, but not macroevolution. This cat, after a billion years, will never become this dog here, you see? There is a clear differentiation between the kinds and the missing links are still missing. Now you better go because you know why. 
We'll see you later, Kelly, and thanks for being better than I expected. Thank you, Janine. Thank you, Mrs. White. Thank you so much. You can clap now. Thank you. But do it just now, not later on, as you know why. So we believe, at least I believe in microevolution, not macroevolution. Macroevolution is changing from one kind to another. Apes into men. Don't believe this. I believe that after thousands of years, you've got all sorts of different men, haven't you? Some are short, some are tall, but they are still men. And dogs remain dogs, and cats remain cats. And as Darwin said, we've got no evidence that they have changed from one to the other. Take, for instance, the fruit fly. Its name is Drosophilia. It's been bred over a thousand generations. But after they have bred it over a thousand generations, they have bombarded this fruit fly with radiation. You know what they've discovered? It's still a fruit fly. It may be a funny-looking fruit fly, but bless your heart, it's still a fruit fly. After more than a thousand generations of genetic manipulations, it is still a fruit fly. Professor N. Herbert Nielsen of Lund University, Sweden, has studied evolution for 40 years. He says, it is not even possible to make a caricature of evolution out of paleobiological facts. The fossil material is now so complete that the lack of transitional series cannot be explained by the scarcity of the material. The deficiencies are real. They will never be filled. And that is why one person said, faith is the substance of fossils hoped for, the evidence of links unseen. I want to talk very briefly about human evolution. The evolutionist says that man has evolved from brutish creatures in the past and has used this evidence to tell people that that is true. The Nebraska man found in 1922. He starred in the famous Scopes trial in Dayton, Tennessee in 1925. William Jennings Bryan was confounded by the evidence of the evolutionist and evolution won the day. The scientists ridiculed this man because they had found the Nebraska man, which they said was evidence that man had evolved from an ape-like creature. It is now believed, and the whole evidence was based on a single tooth that they found in Nebraska, and this was the missing link. It is now by belie believed by every evolutionist in the world that this Nebraska man was not a man, but a pig. The tooth was a pig's tooth. Then there was the Java man that was found in 1891. They found a small bit of a skull, fragments of a left thigh bone, and three teeth. It was found by Dr. Dubois. It was put in all the scientific journals. It is now largely recognized it was a gibbon. There was the Piltdown man who was found in 1912 in Sussex, England. They took the Piltdown man to the British Museum and the British Museum said it is 500,000 years old. Early man. A flood of literature came out on the Piltdown man. In 1956, the Piltdown man was discovered to be a hoax. The jawbone was the jawbone of an ape that was 50 years old, not 500,000 years old. The teeth had been filed down. It's been in major textbooks for years, now removed. Then there was the Neanderthal man, found in Germany, portrayed as semi-erect, barrel-chested, brutish, a link between man and the apes. We've got him at last. 
Other skeletons were found of Neanderthal men. They were fully erect and fully human. Why the misconceptions? Because of two factors. Because of the bias of the evolutionists and because the first Neanderthal man had osteoarthritis. We know that today. We also know that he had a brain that was 13% bigger than modern man's. Then there are, there are Lucy and other fragments that have been found in Africa. And people have said, this is evidence. Founded upon a little bone here, a little tooth here, half a mile down the gorge here, 200 feet down here. And many scientists are coming to the conclusion, no, Lucy was not an early human. Lucy was an ape. All types of fossils, but none of the fossils are the links. Now we have a special guest and I want you to bring him in or bring her in. So can you do this now please? And here she is. Her name is Sasha, which is Russian for Alexander. Did you know that a tiger can breed with a lion? The name of that creature, you know what it is? It's a liger. But the liger can't breed. God made cats. He made cats and dogs and apes and human beings. And we have not yet found the links because there are none. George Wald, the winner of the Nobel Peace Prize in Science said, when it comes to the origin of life on this earth, there are only two possibilities, creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved a hundred years ago, but that leads us only to one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. Therefore, I ask the question, is it not time that we took seriously the words of Scripture? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I wonder what this God is like. He must be a God who loves beauty, don't you think? When he made all the beautiful animals in the world, this beautiful tiger weighs 350 pounds. I discovered last night that the Siberian tiger is 800 pounds. What is this God like? He's an all-powerful God. He made the stars. He made the universe. He's not a God, my friend, who operates the universe by blind chance. He is the great planner, the great designer, who put the stripes on the tiger. And more than this, he is a loving God. Because not only did he make all of these beautiful creatures, but he made you. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I invite my friends watching in Russia and my friends watching in America to believe in the God who made the world, the God who made the tiger, and the God who made you. We're going to have a little prayer now. 
we're going to ask you to bow your heads. Dear Father, we thank you today that you are such a wonderful God, that you are the God who made the universe, you made the stars, you made the tiger, you made the dogs, you made the cats, you made the apes, you made the human race. We thank you that you are not just a powerful God, but you are a loving God. Help us today to have faith in you and to know we are not victims of a blind chance, but we are the children of an all-caring God who made us for himself with his own plan. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.